right in front of him. Crowder looking, throws it alley. Oh! Midweek edition of the Just Basketball Show. Welcome to another episode. I am Brendan Clean. That is Chris Manning. Follow us on all your podcast platforms of choice if you're finding us for the first time or if you've just never done so. Hit subscribe on YouTube. Drop a comment if you feel so inclined. Basketball is in full swing. The playoffs are very good. And we are happy to be joining you again. Follow us on social media, TikTok, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, wherever you are, we are. Get engaged that way. Our wonderful social producer is putting together tons of Lakers propaganda edits each and every day to satiate your desire to see the purple and gold in all of its glory. So you can hit that stuff as well. We're going to talk about burning questions from the NBA playoffs today. Uh, The things that now that we're midway, almost all the way through these first round series that that's on our mind. What what are the end of one team season going to tell us? How have the way that other teams have risen to the occasion, changing how we're thinking of them, all sorts of different burning questions. But Chris, mm-hmm. I think we owe the audience a little bit of a you're welcome here. Because I, I demanded that we talk about if the playoffs were good. I saw some complaining online and wanted to do a few minutes at the top of Monday's show debating this. And then you and I were like texting back and forth because we knew we were recording today's Tuesday that we're recording. And we were like, yeah, you know, Monday games might suck. Like, hopefully we have something to talk about because it's a quick turnaround. There's not going to be a lot of basketball between now and then. And then Monday's games might have been the best of the playoffs, at least in terms of unexpected sort of vintage performances. And that's kind of where I want to start, which is Jimmy Butler who has graduated. At one point, he was James Butler, Chris. If you remember Bruce Brown, once upon a time, and then Jimmy said, no, my name is actually Jimmy on my birth certificate. Don't call me James. That's weird. He's now Hemi Butler. He has been doing this long enough to go through multiple iterations of internet culture to now be the poster child of him. Not Austin Reeves, not anyone else. It is Jimmy Butler, mostly because his name really fits that. But 56 points, 119 to 114, 3-1 series lead over the Milwaukee Bucks. I think there's a lot on the Milwaukee side as they face elimination here and have to do a pretty incredible feat of coming back from down this bad, which they've never really had to do. But we have to start on the Butler side. 41 minutes, 19 of 28 from the field, 15 of 18 from the free throw line. I believe he had 22 points in the first quarter alone, and then he had like 15 in the final few minutes of this game. Are you surprised that we still are getting these? No, I, I, with Jimmy Butler, that guy, I think his style is built for this. I think his temperament is built for this. I think also that organization is built for this. Like, I I don't think this is happening if it's against another team if it's against like I don't think this is happening to Milwaukee. This is not being done to Milwaukee. If this is like the Cleveland Cavaliers or like even the Knicks, like I don't think those teams are in this position to push on this way. And Butler is at, is the tip of that spear, right? He is relentless. He always gets the line. He always draws fouls. He plays physical on both sides of the ball and he has a limitless gas tank. Like he has the right style to be this guy. We've seen this over and over again, the bubble. I know like he became a meme, 
But like that bubble exemplified like everything that Jimmy Butler brings to a team and bring can bring to the playoffs. He is the template for how to do this stuff. If you if you have the, if you're even if you're not the best athlete or like that he's not a great three point shooter. He's never been a good like a really good three point shooter, and yet he's doing this, and he just ruins teams, and he's relentless. He's the not relentless. a good three point shooter outside of like the most <laughs> unexpected <laughs> moments, and then yeah. it's like he's Clay Thompson, right? So it's like you get this guy that is just built to do all of this stuff to build, to be built in all this way. And I'm just not surprised. Like I was waiting for a Jimmy game like this. I didn't know if it was going to like get them up three, one. I thought maybe it comes in like game six and of course that game seven or something. I thought maybe that's where this is headed, but like, I'm not surprised like this. This is what Jimmy Butler does. This is what, who he is. Yeah. Let's go back a little bit. His career is so fascinating to me because I'm looking at, you know, basketball reference has, career playoffs game log. That's one of the options you can look at. And it's just from the beginning of their career up through now, only their playoff games. And his first series was 11 years ago. This guy's been around for a long time at this point, but he barely played that first year, 2012. Then 2013, role player, you know, he's starting playing a ton of minutes because it's Tibbs, but not looked to as a scorer, really, because that was still the, the tail end of the Noah, Boozer, Dang, era of that team with Rose trying to come back and all that stuff. Then he gets to his, his sort of his final series in Chicago, which is 2017, the year before he gets drafted in, in June during the draft of, of that year, he has two 30 point games against Boston. That series goes six games. That's the one everybody, everybody remembers when Wade was a bull and they went up 2-0 at on the road. And then Boston came back to beat them in six. But then, you know, Minnesota, Philadelphia, he has some moments. And then it's like he gets to Miami, to your point about the organization. His very first uh, second-round series, which was the bubble, as a member of the Heat, was beating this Bucks team. He had 40 points in Game 1, 30 points in Game 3. They beat him in 5. Then, obviously, there's the finals. He has a 40-point game in that. He has a 35-point game in that. The meme you mentioned with the exhaustion of, of all of that. Um, and it just feels like he became a completely different guy where he's able to do this. And I, I wonder what the ingredients really are for all of this, because he, he's played the same way his, his whole career. Is it, is it being empowered to be the lead guy? Is it finding a, a culture and sort of like a, a, a set of players that are going to fight and create turnovers and not give up and, you know, not be <laughs> whatever he thought of Andrew Wiggins and Carl Anthony Towns once upon a time or Ben Simmons. Right. Is it that like it, it, it is so ethereal because when he's been given the chance, I feel like he's kind of shown up in a lot of ways, but this is just, you know, 20% better since he got to Miami. You know who I'd want to ask this question? Like I have, I have one person that comes to mind that I would specifically want to like ask what makes Jimmy Butler so special. Can you guess who it is? Joel Embiid? It's Joel Embiid. Because last night, Joel Embiid, who on repeated occasions has talked about how much he wished Jimmy didn't leave and they messed that up and all this stuff, tweets playoff MF Himmy Butler. Just like thinking about, I'm sure I would love to have watched that game with Embiid. I would love to like know what's going through his brain. Like I think obviously he would be the spear point in, in a different way, but it's like, 
you can tell the respect he has for him. And Butler also was like, that's the MVP. Like there's clearly some mutual love between those two guys. I, I just I would love to see what Embiid would how Embiid would define this because I think you've you hit a lot of the stuff but from a, to hear from a guy who played with him who clearly wishes he still played with him I would very much like to know what Embiid would have to say about this. This was the most points scored in a playoff game by a Heat player ever. So you might remember Shaquille O'Neal, LeBron James, Dwayne Wade, Chris Bosh all played for this team. Never scored fifty six points. I. I would imagine 56 is in at least like the, what the top 20 of all time playoff scoring. I, I didn't see that number, that ranking necessarily going around Chris, but it's a, uh, it's super special. That first quarter was, was unreal. And I think there's a, an element here of this particular matchup, right? This is now the third time they face each other in the playoffs, Milwaukee and Miami. And it's it sounds so basic because like the talking heads on ESPN and whatnot like to throw this out gratuitously when it doesn't really actually apply of so and so is not afraid of such and such team or such and such player. Jimmy Butler's not afraid of the Milwaukee Bucks. He's not afraid of Giannis Antetokounmpo. He's not afraid of Drew Holiday. Definitely not afraid of Chris Middleton, who we can get to. Um, and that does mean something to me because. I think that there is an element. It's like the cornerback who the opposing team in the in, in the NFL just doesn't throw to, right? That's how Drew Holiday is a lot of the time. And especially in isolation on the, you know, inside the arc, that is how Giannis is for almost everybody. He's a defensive player of the year. Drew Holiday has just got the athletic. They just voted him as like the most uh, best defender and most underrated defender in the league. And Butler was isoing those guys like it was, you know, Nothing. G-leaguers. Yeah. It's crazy. And I, I do do that. That matters, right? Like facing this particular team and not worrying about who he's going up against. I think that speaks to what you were talking about of it. It wouldn't happen if it was any other team. And I think that has to also it's not just coming from Butler. Like that has to also be coming from Spo, Riley, Kyle Lowry, Bam whatever it is, Haslam, that they walk into every series feeling like it doesn't matter. They're either going to lose because they didn't play their best or they're going to win. There's not going to be an opponent that takes it to them. 100%. I mean, this is where I was getting to with like the organization stuff. It's like they have the best coach in the league. They have an organization that like we can make funny heat culture and like we should tease a bit, tease it because it often is very silly and, and stupid. And like, you know, like we, people make fun of Udonis Haslam stuff and I, I get it. But this is like a, a team that, like is kind of has this mindset of like, we're just not going to give in. We're not going to have these issues where like, we're going to fear away from this moment. Like other teams hundred percent would have crumbled if Giannis comes back. Right. Like there's no doubt in my mind that another team has sees Giannis come back and it's like, well, okay. Like this is, this is a problem for us and they crater and the bucks win and, and we kind of just move on with our lives. But now we're looking at three, one and I don't, I don't know how good of it. Like, Three three one, as good as we is you know as good as Milwaukee is, as good as Giannis is. Coming back from three one is going to be a really tall task. They have to rip about four in a, they have to rip about three in a row against a Heat team that just had this comeback against them. That is going to be feeling confident. That has Jimmy Butler and know Jimmy Butler knows he can kind of get whatever he wants. I don't think the Bucks but are going to. Can we pause bah. for a second? Yeah, because 
I can I can appreciate that there is some legitimacy to heat culture and that it's not just a joke and that there is some like uh, Eric Spolstra did the third between third and fourth quarter interview on TNT in that game last night. Also, shout out to Kevin Harlan. If anyone played better than Butler, it was Harlan. He was on an absolute roll in that game. But anyway, Spo Spo does the interview and he's like, we have the grit and effort needed to win this game. It's just a matter. They were down 11 at this point, like, mind you. And Spo right. was like, yeah, we have everything it takes. It, we just got to do it. But it's Giannis Antetokounmpo. Mm-hmm. Like, I just think you can't overstate that this team is going against that guy. Like you said, in, in his return to the lineup, the other games, they didn't have him in there. But Butler didn't just score 30 again like he's been doing this series. He doubled that against the best player in the NBA. The Bucks are 0-2 with Giannis in the lineup in this series. Didn't he play like 11 minutes or something in game one? It counts. He played. Okay. The games where Giannis okay. played, they're 0-2. <laughs> they were up when he went out, as Heat fans have loved to point out in the, on Twitter. Okay, regardless, they've lost. <laughs> like this, this, yeah. is, this is where we're at with this now. This is a, mm-hmm. a very precarious place. So what percentage chance would you give Milwaukee of pulling this off? Like 10%? Well, let's 15%? talk about this real quick, because I want to mention, I'm sure people are listening and feeling like the, the Heat did get swept by Milwaukee two years ago when the Heat, yeah. when the Bucks went to the finals. Mm-hmm. I don't want to leave that out. And I think it's actually interesting because you mentioned the culture and everything else. And uh, I, I there's some things about what Miami is doing right now that I just are unexplainable, no matter how much I can pump up Eric Spolstra and Pat Riley and Haslam and whatever. But that year, they were starting the the corpse of Trevor Ariza. I will always trash Trevor Ariza. He 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 did not leave Phoenix on good terms. So that's what my uh, my anger is is there. Hero is not himself, not good enough yet. And they had basically no bench. Dragic was on his last legs. I think he, if I'm looking back correctly, was actually fine enough. And Bam wasn't where he needed to be. You fast forward to this series. I saw this from Seth Partner over at The Athletic, Chris. The Heat are shooting 52% on contested threes this season. Or this, this series. 52% on contested threes. And guys like, they, they lost Hero, obviously, in game one. Oladipo had the severe injury in game four. They're getting threes from Duncan Robinson, who's back from the dead. Cody Martin, who played his absolute ass off in the fourth quarter of that game. Kevin Love is suddenly playable, even with Giannis on the court. Gabe Vincent, they're going, um, you know, Just the going Kevin to Love him thing, probably too much, the, but he's the, making them. The Kevin Love thing's making my, uh, is, I'm just, I don't want to talk about the Cavs the next day, but that's been making me uh, just like squint a little bit. A little crazy. Yeah. Not crazy, so but anyway, it's like, I, it's like, I, huh, it's like the guy that played in the finals and was hurt and like, Maybe you like there's something there that we don't totally understand. Like maybe you should have like tried to find a way to keep that guy around in case you needed to. I mean, maybe he would have helped you in a big environment where your team looked overwhelmed in New York City. And also you need help rebounding. I'm just wondering if like, you know, wondering if that guy could have maybe helped you if you would have figured that out. But, you know, I was waiting for Giannis to come back because I felt like that would just be the snap of the fingers where uh, love was going to be played off the court. And that has not happened. Um, mm-hmm. He's been very he was very solid last night. They're pu- they're running double drag. They're running horns they're just he's a a smart guy when he's out there so he's not exactly going to make mistakes you know two assists zero turnovers seven rebounds two out of five from three he's a minus six but whatever he's a body better than a lot of the other options they have they don't have to go to Yurtsevin, right um all right so on the buck side how how big of a percent chance do i give them 
Um, I mean, it can't be 50 because that is something we just haven't seen much in the NBA, but it's not unprecedented and great players tend to be the ones to do it, whether that's Curry in, you know, Clay in the Thunder series and then having it done right back to them by LeBron and Kyrie or, you know, any number of other times. It is definitely on the table. I think Chris Middleton needs to play better. Oh, yeah. That's my number one thing. Um, If... If he's never had a lot of lift on his shot, it's been it's looked inconsistent, if not outright bad since he's been back, even on his best days. He's not. I know he had eight assists and three turnovers. I feel like that was more a a thing of like, I'm not making my shots, so I need to give the ball up. Not I'm creating advantages and like dishing to a teammate. The best offensive players on the Bucks in this game were Giannis and Brooke Lopez. And that pick and roll was really, really working. I also think there's something to be said for the Bucs aren't exactly afraid of the heat either. Late in that mm. game, Giannis and Brooke were being guarded by Bam and Jimmy. And the Bucs were like, okay, you know, fuck it. We're going to go ahead and put our best guys uh, in the offense. And even if it's your best defenders, so be it. And that that's what happened. So I don't think that, that the Bucs are necessarily some sort of humongous underdog to come back and do this. They do still have home court uh, in five and seven. But... Coming, coming off of the injuries the way that Giannis and Middleton are, it's not a normal set of circumstances. And I think Middleton especially, like if, if he's not able to score, not able to get past his guy, not able to guard Butler much at all, he just was getting blown by Butler. Every, Butler was blowing by him every single time. Uh, that's an emergency because they're not going to win it if, if they have to put you know Connaughton or Portis in that spot. And obviously this would lead to some very dire reality is prep for the Milwaukee Bucks. I mean, this is, this would lead some places that I don't know what to make of it. I don't know exactly like how, you know, we quantify that or whatever, but this heads. What's your percent chance? I'm at like 25. Like I, I give them more than that. I would say like at, at least like a third 40, somewhere in there. Three, three, one is just so hard. Mm. It's just, it's just like, it's three, one, Against the, against a group that I don't think is going to feel the pressure against them. Game six on the road. I mean, not to throw shots at a crowd that was really rocking in game four, but like Miami's I mean, crowd's not amazing, but it's still a sure. Rookie, you know, yeah. There, there's. They came back from two zero in the finals and won four straight games, Chris. So I know, I, maybe I'm it's... having a little bit of PTSD on that in 2021, but. It's just it's it's the three one. It's not it's like two zero. It's like that's it's like I get that, but it's it's the three one thing that has tripped me up because he just need to win once. They don't need to win twice. I mean, Suns didn't win once in the finals, right? Like I I hear you, but I hey, I, I think I, if I, anybody's gonna do it, it's gonna be it's, honest. It's just a matter of is that back gonna allow him to? I think. Bingo, and we don't know. And he also was limp, uh, limping on his ankle at one point in the game. Well, like, and they just will need a lot more of Middleton. Like you said that, but it's just like they can't survive another game, Middleton game like that. They just they can't. And Drew, I mean, I I think Drew had like kind of an off offensive night as well, if I'm remembering correctly. I might be like misremembering that, but like and also just like look, Drew, I Drew is we talked about that offensive stuff. He cannot have like that kind of Jimmy game again. Where like that's been a grimy matchup, but he has to win it more. Like you can't get torched like even for like forty again. Yeah. So in game two, uh. Holiday was six and nineteen, two of eleven from three. Like if they have a two of eleven Drew game again, and Middleton's four twelve, 
like one, yeah. two, three. Yeah, Holiday can be better too, for sure. Um, and like I get they're asking a ton of him defensively, so this really maybe offensively comes back to Middleton and comes back to can you get can Jay Crowder hit a couple threes? Can you know they can Jay throw, Crowder I mean, got a DNP in this game. Yeah. And Connaughton was one of six from three, so I wonder if Crowder comes back the other way. I mean, Brooke had thirty six and it just like He was a monster. And just like gets wiped away. And he just completely suffocated Bam in the post. Bam Bam could not get a bucket off in this game unless he just happened to make his mid-range jumper because Brooke was in that drop. Um, yeah, to me, quickly on the Bucks, last thing, I feel like Portis playing more and them just going huge is an adjustment I would like for them to try to have Middleton effectively playing the two. Um, Giannis on Jimmy at that point, and then, you know, Brooke on Bam, and then, yes, the Heat can play small, but, like, are you really killing yourself if Portis has to guard Cody Martin or something? Probably not. Right. Hey, Haywood Highsmith, you know, I don't think so. Love, obviously, when he's out there, that that's even easier. And then you can just clog the paint more, try to put bodies between the basket and Jimmy. Not foul if you can. That would be nice. Uh, but we'll see. Um, I think that they, they, they can win game five, and then, you know, that that's a, a little bit of a sigh of relief. I, I do feel like the one game at a time aspect of, of this three to one situation, I do think the experienced team, both teams are experienced. Miami is too, but Milwaukee kind of having been in a lot of situations before would help them. We'll see though. All right. Lakers, Grizzlies, 117-111. Lakers also go up 3-1 with a uh, home win in game four. This series has been very, very strange to me, Chris, and I don't good. feel like this game was good, I think. Yeah, but the series as a whole has even this was like it's a little clunky. It's a little it's a little like a lot of missed shots. Like Ja missed like a ton of shots this game. Jordan Jackson missed a ton of shots this game. Both teams are just trying to like finagle like just enough offense out of stuff, and then it's relying on like an A D block and LeBron here and you know, Austin. Like it's just relying on like individual plays more than it is like back and forth if that if that if that makes sense yeah grizzlies half court offensive rating was 76.8 in this game uh seventh percentile according to cleaning the glass lakers not much better about basically 90 points per 100 possessions so it's been a slog uh and honestly they weren't even that effective running in this game either team it was just that they ran a lot and so the points got up to 117 111 but really my 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 takeaway my sort of thought going forward about this is if you have any thoughts or if you're able to make sense, Chris, of what's going on with Memphis, I, I would love to hear it. Um, it's a, a weird team that has obviously had the problems, but you still felt like should be good once Shaw got back and it just doesn't feel like they know what, what they are right now. Um, but on the Lakers side, I just think as they look forward, because they should win this series now, I really don't know if they're going to be able to score in the half court consistently. As much as I want to give LeBron a humongous amount of credit for the three drives that he had, two to, to make the off-the-glass layup above the box on the backboard, which is insane, the and one against Dylan Brooks in overtime, and the splitting of the double team that he had, and then the dish to Austin Reeves on a late layup. All three of those were vintage LeBron stuff. But this team, when LeBron is unwilling because of his body right now to attack 
and Anthony Davis is not scoring the ball at all in the past few games, I'm just not sure that they're going to be able to get enough offense out of this team to beat whoever they play in the next round. I mean, he looks tired or old or hurt or all of it, right? Like that, that is where we're at with LeBron right now. And I, it's still clear that he can turn on these moments of greatness and turn on these moments of just brilliant excellence and, and these big, big moments where he gets big buckets and scores and they win the game. And it's clear that like he is like the, the yell he erupts at into after he scores on Dylan Brooks to like ice this game. It's just classic LeBron and like he he's won this, but like, it doesn't look like LeBron has like <laughs> four of 11, one of seven from three by Brooks. I guess LeBron didn't get to 40 yet. So Brooks doesn't respect him. I guess maybe he'll respect him when the series ends in like two days. Yes this whole thing is just like the, the the Grizzlies clearly just have these issues and like maybe the season has been too much for them. I, it does feel like the Brooks thing has turned into a distraction. Like just to me, like I can't extrapolate like the pressure they must be feeling. And I'm also sure Ja being in this situation where it's like, you know, like that, that clip of him saying like, we have no problem in the West is just going to get like meme to, to, to all oblivion. Like that is where we're headed with this. Um, but with LeBron, it's he has enough to still pull off these moments in select spots. And it's like I, I loved how he talked about his layup packages after the game, how it's like he went back to like how he scored on the Warriors in 2018. Maybe the best single game performance he's ever had to kind of navigate some of this. And, but you he's clearly say maybe. Yeah, I mean, they lost. So it's just like, you know, um, salute to J.R. Smith. Love <laughs> still anyway yes. regardless of any of that so but so but this this i think it raises questions about like where the lakers go sorry dylan but i am very curious to just see like is he somewhat saving himself does the the foot get better or is this just what their reality is and this is what they're working with throughout this run because otherwise like they're gonna have a lot of if, if this is the case if this is what they are if this is what lebron is they're gonna have a very hard time against phoenix they're going to have a very hard time against Denver if they get there. I don't think they're going to beat their next opponent. I mean, they're going to play the Warriors or Kings, and the way those two, the level that those two teams are playing at, especially offensively, I just don't know if the Lakers can keep up, and and that's kind of my thing. Like, I think that the Lakers' defense has been very good, but you know. They're at their best when they're creating turnovers and flying around. They had five steals and 11 blocks as a team in this game. As I mentioned, it was just who can get the most transition opportunities was kind of the deal. And then LeBron and Russell had a Russell had a the 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 Grizzlies were up seven with five minutes to go in this game. Russell had a personal 9-0 run. So and Reeves was was very good in spurts too. Um, it's just that's not sustainable. You know, if you're going up against Sacramento and it's like can Russell and Reeves get you past what you know Sabonis and Fox and Monk are going to do to you or obviously heaven forbid you know Steph Curry and Clay Thompson and, and Draymond Green are going to do I don't think that's a good answer it has to come from the stars it's not coming from the stars right now um, so I wouldn't feel great about about them about them winning that but at the same time like it, it feels weird to be negative about this team as as they're winning. I just like personally felt like they were going to win this series. Um, on the Grizzlies side, though, Chris, is there is it too early to wonder if they have enough? 
No, that's kind of I'm where there. I where I come down. I'm there. I'm there. I I think that I think the series in another playoff loss is going to lead to some kind of adjustment, some kind of changes, some kind of reality change going forward. Like I I think. You know, like they were rumored or reported to have offered all those draft picks for Mikael Bridges. They're not going to get him, but do they go hunting for another player like that that they clearly need to spend? And it seems like Dylan Brooks, Tim McMahon. Right? Something yeah. like that. Um, I would go looking for that kind of player if I were them. I think you got to switch up the identity a little bit. I think you got to find a way to upgrade and kind of add to stuff. Like the, the, I love the template of what they have. I don't think they should lose the DNA of like draft guys plug-and-play guys have types. I think that has served them really well. And if they continue to do that on the margins, I think that will continue to serve them really well. I think it's key for a smaller market team to do some of that. But I also think like they, they're in need of something better than Dylan Brooks at the wing, particularly if we're going to play Bain and Morant. And if that guy could also like have some offensive ability, like that would also really help them. If they had a guy that could at least hit some threes, create his own shot a little bit, like that would take some pressure off of Ja to have to just like run into the lane. And look, he's clear, that hand is clearly bothering him right now. I think there's no way around that. But it, they're in this situation where I think they just, they're not getting enough out of that spot. And I think they they need to modernize in that way. Like they would have, like, you know, they would, Mikael Bridges would have made a ton of sense for them, I think. Like, like uh, you know, is, is, it, is it Ananobi? Is there someone else that we're not thinking of yet that becomes available? Like they, they, they should be hunting for that kind of player. I don't think Jaw is ever going to adjust his game. I, I don't think you can expect or ask him to do that, you know, in terms of, well, if we just didn't have to always be worrying about jaw injuries, then we would obviously feel a lot better about our team. I don't think they have that luxury. I don't think he's, I don't think he's good enough if he's worried about that or attacking less. Like that's what makes him special. Mm. And he is pretty willing to play off the ball. You know, Bain had it cooking in that third and fourth quarter and, and Ja was in the corner. He even took a spot up corner three. Like how many, you know, superstar point guards even are willing to do that? I think we're going to talk about one later on who's had trouble with that. So I think that the answer is have him be off the ball less, have him maybe have to play, you know, I don't know if fewer minutes necessarily makes sense, but just reduce what you're asking of him is going to be the best way to do it. And and it's kind of unfair because that's a weird dynamic to have where the style of your best player makes it that he's always hurt. And then all these other guys suddenly have more expected of them than ideally would be the case. But Desmond Bain, you know, he's, he's smaller than a, a wing would be. He's a, he's the size of a, you know, point guard yet. He, is kind of playing the two and three a lot. That's not great. He isn't much of a, of a playmaker. He had a nice pull-up mid-range jumper in this game, but that's not always part of his game. It's sort of threes and layups and transition stuff for him, um, which are not always easy to get because the balance isn't there. And Jaron is still filling out, but it's it's weird to me because he, you know, Jaw is only 23, I think that there's another level that he can get to as he balances out his offensive game, becomes an even better passer, figures out how to play with his teammates at an even higher level. Bain's only 24, Jackson's only 23. But they were so ahead of schedule that now they've lost in the playoffs three times. So I do think that change is going to have to come. It's just, it it's weird. It, it's the curse of drafting too well. And I think it speaks to the fact that they haven't hit on the thing they need. 
like I like David Roddy. Like I know you're a Zaire Williams fan. Like I think the internet broadly really likes Kenneth Lofton Jr. And like they gave him a real NBA contract, right? Um, they haven't hit on like that wing. They haven't hit on the wing that would kind of be the the connective tissue to everything they need and would kind of be like the the balm to kind of solve some of their issues. Um, like having a guy that is more credible to defend like LeBron, even if it doesn't totally work, would give them a big advantage in this series just to kind of navigate some of that stuff, right? Like, I think that's just undeniable. That that would be a plus for them to just kind of navigate some of these series and also, like, help them, like, play the Suns or play, like, if they got the Celtics at some point in, like, a big matchup, like, that would help them. And the teams you're going to have to beat, they just kind of are missing that piece. And also, just, like, I I really like Bain and I really like Ja. Um, You are... You have built-in issues with that size of a backcourt, and you're also about to pay Desmond Bain a lot of money, probably. So, like, the time is kind of now, really. Like, the pressure is on to kind of go make your move now unless you're going to trade one of your core guys. Like, that just feels like where this is at. And I I think particularly just, like, with it, how the season has gone, another high seed, another not making a deep run, I think that kind of demands change. It's like it's not like this is, like, a one-year thing. You can say, oh, we can run this back learn from this. Our guys are too really young. It's like you have a defensive player of the year. This coach has been around a little bit. It's starting to get expensive. That, that I think naturally is going to spur forth some, some kind of differentiation out of the series. And I, like how much of a chance do you give them to play the same game of, of actually coming back? Not much. I'm at like three, 3%. Yeah. One of the interesting, like, I just, to, to, to explain then, yeah. why I just feel like, um, I watched their offense and they needed everything Bain gave them in that game. And even then, you know, three of 12 from DP got cold at the wrong time, late fourth quarter into overtime. He's not much of a threat inside the arc. As I said, he's not much of a playmaker. So they hit their ceiling with what riding his hot hand was going to look like. They had an amazing play where Jaron blocked a Rui cut into a dunk and then Bain passed it to, uh, no, sorry. Jaron passed it to Ja, who passed it to Bain as he got clobbered. And I thought that was going to be the deciding point of the game. Like they, they have a style that works. They just need to be more ready for what comes in the playoffs when the game slows down and when defenses are keyed into, hey, Ja's right hand is hurt and he's obviously hampered. So let's just smash him every single time that we can. And then what do you do? And the answer was, well, hopefully Bain can get us there. You know, like that, it's just not filled out enough. So that's why I would give them a smaller chance. That's why I feel like they do need something. Um, again, the curse of, of drafting well. I don't feel like, Chris, outside of just creating extra possessions, and that that does go a long way. I don't want to understate that, but um, I don't feel necessarily like Adams and Clark and or Clark would have made a huge difference. Maybe I'm wrong. Davis has struggled and and maybe just, you know, five extra offensive rebounds per game with the margins being pretty thin would, would have helped. But I think that that can't, you know, that feels like, you know, glue and tape for the problem that they have, which is, you know, more, more consistently strong offensive creation in those moments, Um, not throw it to Dylan Brooks and cross your fingers like they have been. So, all right. Burning questions of the NBA playoffs. Some of these are things we talked about on the last show, but we can dive in a little bit more on them. I None of these teams have been buried yet, and it feels cruel 
to bury them, but it's time. So let's do Atlanta first. We haven't talked about Atlanta much. They have been very, uh, I don't know, not tight-lipped at all about Trey Young being available, I think, or starting to think about what moving on from Trey Young could look like. They hired a head coach of pretty high uh, repute and like somebody who I don't think takes that job if he feels like he's locked into the given situation. I'm not saying he didn't want to coach Trey. I'm just saying if there is a change to be made, I feel like Quinn Snyder probably was keyed into that at the beginning. At least makes me feel like they're going to be willing to shake things up. And they got blown out by the heat in the first round last year. They're headed toward that same fate against Boston. Those are the teams that they're going to need to get over the hump against if they're going to win. And they haven't been able to in the first series, the first playoff run that this team had, they beat a Knicks team that was, you know, much, very much a regular season squad. And then stomped on the decaying corpse of the Philadelphia 76ers with Ben Simmons. And then, you know, lost to the Giannis list bucks. So not exactly like, the biggest prove it thing. And then they've, they've really shown us who they are the past two years. DeJounte Murray got suspended for game five. So it feels like this series might be over soon, Chris, but what do you do here? I don't exactly feel like DeJounte Murray is somebody you're trying to build a, a team around. So they don't exactly have the pivot, the obvious pivot of if they were to explore a trade trade, what do they do next? That's the thing. Um, I am fascinated to just see how they would handle like some of their role guys as well, because it's like they have a lot of guys that I think are theoretically good or have had good moments. Like DeAndre Hunter has had a big game in the playoffs, right? Like I, I think the world of Anyeka Kung, but it's like he's stuck behind Clint Capella. Like, what do you do with Clint Capella? What do you do with, you know, like, do you, are you really tied to like believing in Jalen Johnson or is he someone you trade because you already got you went and got Sadiq Bay as well, who has not, I think, looked particularly good in the series and like does not move laterally particularly well defensively. Like I, I think you have all of these like baked in roster constructions. I, I wonder how serious the Trey stuff is. And I wonder how what Trey is also thinking. Because we had a Chris Haynes report a while ago that it's like he might consider asking for a trade beyond if the Hawks would trade him, right? So like you get into this position where I, I think it leads you to just to, you have to start with Trey and figure that out. Is there another star you could go flip to pair him with that would make him happy? Like, I don't really know if that guy is out there. I don't even know what the ideal fit with him would be, but you already traded for Murray. So it's like, has to be like, what do you do with Murray? Like all of this is really complicated. It's also hard to be like, you should just like give up and start from step one again, because Trey is very good. And like, as much as I think he has flaws and I think there's a ceiling on him as your best player. Like this is like a, a star player in this league and it's hard to just like, give that up, but do you, can you take it too far and become the Wizards? I would personally just start with the role players. And what does Quinn Snyder they think They already are guys? the Wizards. It's not as bad as the Wizards I mean, because Trey Young isn't making 250 bajillion dollars. I mean, he's on a max. Like, it just, I, I just, it doesn't feel as bad to me maybe because I also think so highly of Quinn Snyder. Is that, okay, is, that un, on, is that unreasonable? I don't think he's enough to do much uh, to fix the situation. So no, would you? Are, are you going? Like are you going? Trade? Are you going? Trade? Are you going? Trade? Trey? Is that where you're at? I would definitely explore a trade. Trade. Yeah, I would. I too. am curious what the market would be for that player, 
And honestly, a lot of it, uh, less of it is on the court. If you told me, I think there's a bunch of coaches who around the league feel like I can, I can get this guy's mentality to a better place. I can have him, you know, be a little bit more willing to do the less glamorous stuff that you're seeing a point guard like Chris Paul or John Morant, who we've talked about, do for the betterment of their team. Not to mention, obviously, Steph Curry or any number of genuine off-ball stars, Jason Tatum. Right. I think that there's a lot of coaches who feel like they could do that part. And I probably think a lot of them are right. I even think Quinn Snyder might with the full off season and training camp and everything be able to do that. I think that it doesn't seem like it has been a very stable, like fulfilling place to build a basketball program in Atlanta sure. lately. No. Right. They've gone from through him. two coaches. They've gone through any number of players and all of the noise is still there, right? And that, to me, is, is on him. So that's the part where I wonder what you could really get back and if you might just be stuck with the bed that you made, right? Like, you kind of just have to go as far as the guy that you've tied yourself to is going to take you until it absolutely has run its course. And I don't think we're, it, we're at it's absolutely run its course point yet. They have one more year of Murray on this contract, they should sure as hell finally trade John Collins, who I think yep. a lot of teams should want. I think he has a lot of untapped potential. I think you explore a Capella trade, and maybe you start to say, we're not going to... We're, we're done being in the business of proving to Trey that we're quote-unquote committed to him. Mm-hmm. He has not earned that. So mm-hmm. we don't need to keep the vets around. We don't need to keep adding the guys that we think he wants from a personality standpoint or the guys that we think uh, the best version of him is going to fit best with trade Bogdanovich, potentially let the young guys start to play a bigger role, go into next season with, you know, I'm not saying trade all of those veterans. I'm saying, see which ones get, get you something good. And then you go into next season with Trey and Murray still, and some different variety of the the supporting cast with the young guys playing a a bigger role and Quinn's system fully in place. And I don't think you go aggressively on trade Trey Young this offseason, but you start to think about what the post-Trey landscape might be and give yourself some space. If it goes awful, you look at a Trey and a Murray trade at next trade deadline and, you know, start to think about rebuilding from there. But the problem with this team is, and the reason I said that they're kind of like Atlanta I'm not exactly sure that they're going to be thrilled about, you know, blowing it up. That doesn't seem to be palatable to that ownership. No, and it's I would be curious to like again they had the Travis Schlenk change this year. They changed coaches mid-season this year. Like there's been a lot of change and I wonder, you know, like how far do they want to push it? Um I mean, on and if you're trading Trey, I wonder if you just say, "All right, studs. Let's go to the studs. Let's like keep Jalen Johnson. We'll keep Okongwu, but Murray, someone wants to hey, Yeah, Griffin, keep Griffin. Hey, Minnesota, do you want DeJounte Murray to, to play with Ant? Like, can you give us, like, at least one pick or something? Can, can someone, what, like, what can we get for, like, all these guys that would be useful? Like, in Collins, just trade him. I, I think, Col- like, for John Collins' sake, I hope he actually just, like, gets a chance to move on. But yeah, they, this would be, like, the team to me that if they just felt like, get out ahead of it a little bit and 
particularly if you're going to, if you want Quinn, if you trust Quinn to, and it seems like he has some say in the front office to just build something, then I don't think that's a reasonable way to go. I do wonder like who the Trey suitors would be. What do you think? Well, Oklahoma City. What team would you, if you're running a front office, what team would you pick to be the best one to pursue him? Oklahoma City. Playing with Trey. You're, playing with Shea. That, that hurts me with how much I love Shea Gilgis Alexander. I but it's like imagine him Shea is like the cover for him and all the wings and, and stuff they have to support Trey. It's like the right Trey infrastructure, but that also assumes that Trey is willing to like do something different. And that is part of the problem with this. I don't know if Trey is willing to be something different than he has ever been. This is like one of the problems. I don't think that's I don't think that's what Sam Presti vi- envisions for I agree. that team. If if you just I, look how they've built it, bringing a six foot point guard who doesn't play defense and so hogs here, the ball so here's, does not feel the, like it would be no, like I the agree. zen I'm, for that young yeah, group. Yeah, I I don't disagree. I just like my head just without thinking about this too much. I was like, oh, I could see like the the idea behind it. Um, and they just have stuff. Orlando, maybe they like they've been, they need a point guard. They need ball creation. I don't know if again you want that with your young guys and and all that stuff, but like I I think that one can make some sense. But like like Utah, like I don't like does Utah like need to do that now? Like does do any of these teams with lots of picks need to do it now? Like I I just I think it's like like the Knicks have Brunson like so there's no reason for them to do it. We talked about the like what about, I, maybe Brooklyn. What about New Orleans? Who <sighs> something centered yeah. on CJ and their picks and young guys. I could see New Orleans having the right level yeah. of, of desperation slash uh-huh. knowing that they need to kind of adjust what they are, but also they have wings defensively. They have some big man versatility with Nance and Valanchunas and Zion and Ingram, where I think that's a little bit of a better situation than what Atlanta has been able to build. Yes. I don't know. No question. No, I, I like that one better than any of my, my options. Philly, if they, if they tough. if if Harden goes and they panic, mm-hmm. like that's the yeah. kind of thing. I think it's a team that has a little what bit of desperation. Brooklyn? We talked about Brooklyn the other day. Yeah, I I, I said them I said them quickly. There, I I would you prefer that or Dame for them? I would prefer a younger player because. I agree. I don't think you're going to be good enough soon enough in Brooklyn to try to, you know, really win a championship with Lillard unless you just, I just don't think that's palatable to Marks. Like if you read that Nick Friedle story, it feels like Marks is really trying to just like get out of that chaos and Lillard as much as he's a team player and a good dude, and he's not going to be as much of a nightmare as the off court stuff was with Harden and Kyrie and Duran. I I think like the pressure's on when you bring in a guy in his mid-30s in a way that it's not when he's, you know, 26 or whatever Trey is, 25. I agree. I agree with that. All right. Let's stay in the East. Cleveland Cavaliers, we talked about this quite a bit, but can I, you have it in, we'll, in our notes as what do they do to, to take a step forward? I feel yeah. like the two things to circle back on are Jared Allen trade. Yep. Or firing J.B. Bickerstaff or both. So we didn't talk about the Allen side so much. I feel like we should start there. What what do you feel like are are the considerations that would be going into Cleveland brain trusts head as they are thinking about whether to pull the trigger on a big man who they really lucked into getting and developed and has been a huge part of their culture and kind of offensive uh, on court reset over the past couple of years. It's a salary question. He's 
this, if you look at their books, this is a team that doesn't have a ton of tradable salaries. Um, like Jetty Osmond, he's non guaranteed for next year. He's at like $7 million. Dean Wade's at like six something million dollars. Karis Levert is a, is a free agent. You could sign and trade him or resign him to trade him in the summer. Okay. So like you have stuff there. You have Ricky Rubio, like $6 million. They don't have like a ton of like obviously tradable contracts. Allen's at $20 million flat for a couple more seasons. That's just like the tradable contract. And if like you're going to say, okay, if you're going to talk yourself into that move, the idea would be here's $20 million. Can we, you know, can we find a way to get two wings some from somewhere for the him plus Osman, maybe Okoro. Because like honestly, I, I think if you're Cleveland, if if Bickerstaff's just not going to play Okoro in this series, then like you should probably just trade him now. Like I'm kind of there with that. Like I'm a little just like what like what are we doing here? If you're not going to play him, then you or the just... next coach likes Okoro more, which we'll get to in a second. Yeah, but... true. Okay, so so, so the, I mean no, the, the team you're ca- the team you're calling and they don't need a center is the problem. Like this is the I was trying to do this exercise and it's with a with a friend of mine. Uh, shout out Danny Cunningham at 850, and. It's like very hard to find like obvious Allen trades with teams that don't need centers. Like Atlanta, you could see like, oh, like could you flip him there? Okay, like do you need to get Dallas involved to get like Allen there, and then you do a three-team deal, and it becomes really complicated. Like Brooklyn would be the team you're calling first for Dorian Finney-Smith and/or Royce O'Neal. You're being like, please take our scraps and like give us these wings we really need, including one of whom's Donovan, one of Donovan Mitchell's best friends in the entire NBA, and you're also just like. But you have Nick Claxton, who is better than Jared Allen yeah. this year, in my opinion. So um, yes. I think it's a tricky places. And I think in replacing on, I don't know if I don't think Mobley is going to be ready to be a full time 82 game center yet. He has not hit that Anthony Davis threshold of like this guy is just a five. So, I mean, you're trying to get like Mason Plumley on part of your MLE or something like that to just like give you like 75 percent of what Jared Allen gave you. I. I... <laughs> I don't know if there is a one a one for one trade. I think you're right. It's weird because I watch a lot of these teams and it feels like center is a weak spot, but then there's not a lot of teams that need centers. It 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 doesn't make a lot of sense to me and I feel like part of it is the bad teams aren't prioritizing that spot. And so does one of them feel like they're ready to take the jump? Like I'm thinking of Chicago, if if they were to move on from Vucevic, which it doesn't sound like they want to, could that be a little bit more of a stabilizing center that's better, more sturdy defensively, although they were a good defensive team this year. But what are you getting from Chicago? That's not really, you know, a place that has a, a ton of ready-made player types of assets unless you really, sure. really love Kobe White. Um and then a lot of these, like even the really bad teams, it's like Houston has Shengun, Detroit has like six guys, San Antonio, I guess, but like uh, you know, or Keldon Johnson, like maybe, but you're probably have you're you're the Cavs are probably having to give more up. I think Johnson might have more value because he's on a cheaper deal and he's younger, and you know, there's that wing over center valuation type of thing. Um, Charlotte has a bunch of young centers. I think Mark Williams is really good. So it's like the teams in the middle, the very bad teams, I don't know if they're really burning to get Hallen. And then the best teams already have their answer at center. There's otherwise they wouldn't be the best teams. So that that's kind of the the tough situation that I see with with them. I I again look at New Orleans because I feel like Valentunis is not the long term answer there. Mm-hmm. 
What are you That's getting about out of there? the best I can do? Washington needs a center because I think that they started Daniel Gafford most of the year. I'm not sure what what you're looking at with Washington, um, unless it's a sign and trade with Kuzma. Then you're just like the lucky team of the offseason who happens to get that done. I, I'm not really sure that's the best offer that'll be there for Kuzma. It, so it will not. They, it's he's not gonna easy. get more than the MLE. He's gonna get more than the MLE in No, I'm not talking about the MLE. I'm saying trading oh, Allen yeah, to yeah, Washington yeah. in a sign and trade where Kuzma gets re-signed by sure. them and oh, yeah, over okay, yeah. Good call, good call, good call. My bad. Um, but I don't think that's the best offer that that they'll get if they actually were to explore a sign and trade thing with Kuzma. Every team would want him. So, correct. Boy, I don't switch to Bickerstaff. <laughs> no I I, I don't think I don't think Bickerstaff's getting fired is where I'm at. Yeah. Let's just play the, uh, theoretical then. Um, even if it's not this summer. And it might even be something where we can make it more of a conversation of like, what does Bickerstaff need to do better? Also, not just mm-hmm. who do you replace him with? But so Ime Oduka is off the board. We didn't talk about that. Maybe we can next week. He is going to be the coach of the Houston Rockets, which I kind of like, to be honest. I think yeah, if he runs an offense like he did in in Houston, in Boston, that could really help those guys. Also, yeah, also just like for for all of like the stuff with him, like he was really renowned in Boston for like accountability and providing like an edge and what does that Houston Rockets team need accountability so yeah yeah I uh in the spirit of just basketball I would want to have a separate conversation about the insanity of how everything has played out with the Amehudoka but on a completely basketball note I think he is a good fit for that roster much more than Nick Nurse would have been and I hope that Raphael Stone and the other brain trust in Houston gives us something about what they did to determine how they were going to go about hiring somebody who had been uh, fired and suspended, but probably, I'm not pro- pro- yeah, probably won't. Like I don't think we're getting that, but you know. no, probably not. But so with Bickerstaff, what what types of qualities like if if you could pick a coach, anybody in the NBA to coach the personnel that the Cavs have, who's re- realistically available? <laughs> don't say Spo or something ridiculous, because then you're one of every NBA fan who would want Spo. But like. What, is the, what do they need to do differently at the head coaching spot and kind of like scheme standpoint that they're not right now? I think they need someone a little more innovative offensively. Um, that gets them playing a little bit quicker and and can just has a little more deep in the bag. I think like Bickerstaff has stuff that they've run this year that has been pretty good. But I think they just have to like, I think there's a little more creativity. I think some of this really honestly, Brandon Moore reflects on Kobe Altman though. Like Bickerstaff is coaching, like whoever the coach is going to be. And like my answer would be like, if I could pick any coach, it might be like Quinn Snyder, who's not available. So then I'm saying I'm taking Kenny Atkinson. Can I have Kenny Atkinson if I'm Cleveland? That to me would make a ton of sense. Um, I think the real issue is like, does Kobe Altman, maybe they're president of basketball operations. The roster is just like lacking. And I don't know if any coach is totally overcoming some of the the pitfalls on this roster. That to me is like really the bigger issue. It's like, I, I think Bickerstaff has his limits and quirks as a coach. I don't think he's done a good job coaching in the series, but I don't know if like firing him just to like get a coach who's then going to have to deal with the same problems. Even if that coach has different strengths, I don't know if that's even really solving the issues at play. Can they get Griff back? Uh, if they, if here's my, what I would say is if, if Kobe Altman goes, they'll just, what the Cavs have done dating back to Danny Ferris in the Dan Gilbert ownership era is they hire someone from inside the organization. Every They're single hire time. hire that LeBron guy. Uh, Brandon Weems, no. So it would go, the order would go, it would be Mike Gansey up next, or the other guy that they'd yeah. been linked to in the past when Allman was on the hot seat was Brock Aller, who is now the Knicks cap guy. 
and in their front office and used to work for rocket uh for rocket companies with dan gilbert directly so i would it'll be it'll 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 stay in house let's put it that way that's that's how this has worked for like 20 years i uh, that that sounds good uh that sounds very healthy you know on the money there um very just very healthy when like that and you don't you don't bring out in outside ideas really from like people and a lot of your coaching staff carries over from coaching because like the, some of the contracts have just stayed. It's really being like a billionaire how, and being cheap are are tend to be incompatible in sports ownership. Those very healthy don't stuff. always go hand in hand together. Um, last question on this: How much genuine regret do you feel like they have for the marketing situation? Considering or Abaji, they did take a, the other one. Well. Because you were giving up, like, you never had him really, right? Like, yeah, but you were. I I don't think that deal is getting done without marketing. I could see a world where that deal is getting done without Abaji having to be in it. Well, so I that's the complicated part, right? Is like obviously he goes for Mitchell, so you don't regret that. But I guess there's a world where you get where where you get the breakout from marketing, and then maybe Allen is a piece in that Mitchell trade in place of marketing because marketing didn't exactly have a ton of value it's not like he was some sort of blue chip it's just like he had a big salary yes there was still some untapped potential let's take a chance on him but there's a world in which that that piece is Mar- is allen instead in the mitchell trade do you feel any re- regret about that or is that just like it, a year has passed so now hindsight makes it all look different yeah i don't know if they would have been the team to bring that out of marketing even in cleveland i think just like if you're bringing a mitchell like he just wouldn't have got that room to breathe he would have just been the same guy just maybe playing us three right like i think that's just where that would have headed i think the offensive um creativity in a world where i don't know if mobley would have been ready to play full-time center maybe in that world you get a cheap center who is a you know plumley or zeller brother (laughs) um and and just kind of have that option but your closing lineup is Mobley at the five and Markinen at the four. It's just it's enticing to me, but I I think you're right. If if that breakout was going to happen, it probably would have last year. And and at some point, you just got to move on from something that isn't working. And obviously, you get a top you know five MVP finisher. You're not regretting how any of that plays out. All right, let's go on to the Clippers. Um, let's try to not like cry or go into a deep depression talking about this. Let's also try to not say I don't know a million times. Because this is uh, this is what's facing the Los Angeles Clippers right now, Chris, is they're about to lose this series in five or six, let's even say seven games. They're not going to win it. You're right. And those guys are are hurt again. So what do you do? What What do you do with these two superstar players who you gave up everything? You gave up a player in Shea who's already better than one of them, if not at times feels like both of them. And more available. And what? And, and more available. available. Yes, more available. You have this insanely deep roster, so you have the flexibility to keep making moves, but you also are looking down the barrel, and I don't think this has necessarily gotten brought up in specifics because we're not sure how it's all going to roll out with the new CBA, but the Clippers are going to be one of the teams that gets hit the hardest with the second apron, the extra tax bill, the limitations on trades and draft picks, and everything else that they're going to be facing with mid-level exception opportunities and all that stuff. So they're in a position where in the next couple of years, they need to come up with a vision for what the next era of this team is going to look like and start to make steps toward that. And Kawhi and Paul George are free agents in 2024, I believe, or can be. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I think you maybe just got to blow it up. I think I'm there. I, I think if you're them, 
Can you count on the availability? Could you talk yourself into one more run? Yeah. But I think you got to start prepping for life after Kawhi and Paul George at some point. And I think the time is now. Maybe that means trading Paul and maybe Kawhi is like, okay, like if Paul's gone, I'm gone too and you trade him. You know, like maybe it's just like like Kawhi in Miami would be would would be like where I would be like Miami should try to do that if I'm them, honestly. Miami is the one of the only teams I feel like outside of the Clippers who's like, Kawhi, you want to play 20 games a year? Come on. Come on over. Yeah, it's either that or I want like the oddballness of like Kawhi playing for Tibbs. <laughs> Tibbs is like, Tibbs yeah, he'll would, play. Yeah, not, Tibbs would uh, need a, a moment to himself if he heard that news. It's like, I get better Luol Dang. <laughs> you know? Like, who doesn't play as much? Yeah. Who, um, who I don't even have to worry about overplaying and, and running into the ground because that's already happened. Like, count me in. Yeah, yeah. Except the fact that he'd be like, I need him every night. And he's like, yeah, I can't start Kawhi in the playoffs because he like, didn't play 82 games for me. You know. Let me ask you this. Which of them has more trade value right now? Kawhi. Kawhi you could trade, and I think you could talk to him helping you win a championship. Paul George is not quite there. Like He's very, very good. But like his ceiling is nowhere near what Kawhi is. Kawhi looked like the best player in basketball for like two months. And I understand the injury stuff, but it's like if you could talk yourself into it, I think you'd get more out of Kawhi. Yeah. Kawhi being the best I, player in basketball, I think is I said, a little bit I of said, a stretch. I, I said over the last couple, like there's a stretch for a couple months where he looked yeah, like the best player yeah. in basketball. He controls games as well as anybody. I, I look what he just I, did I'm before right he got there. hurt against the Suns. It's just like yeah, that but guy he lost could, one of those games. Yeah. Like I mean, I, you know, I'm just saying on. he was it's great. Like, <laughs> he was really great. He was. He made our uh, our, our top four slash five list. Um, yeah, you're welcome. But but look, I, I I think I agree because as much as George's availability tends to be better, I don't think that's enough of a difference to overcome the fact that if you're getting Kawhi Leonard, you're getting a bona fide number one player who you know can lead your team in the playoffs to a championship with a great supporting cast around him. Paul George, even in his best days, is not that. His best version of leading a team was losing in six to the Suns in the conference finals two years ago. And that was an admirable performance, very solid, the best he could have done, but that was the best he could have done, and it didn't get yep. you where you needed to go. Um, I think that... I don't know what a Paul George trade does for you. Correct. If you start there. And so I, I tend to lean the same direction as you where it's like, it's kind of both or neither. You know, you know who would be a, you know, but you know who could make the Paul George trade and you could tell yourself it made a lot of sense. A team like Cleveland. Like that's They're the kind of team that, to, are they? Unless I know. They're trading no. Mobley or Garland. Right. That's what I'm saying. But it's like, that's the, but it's like, that's the kind of t- Memphis. Mm. I could, that would make mm-hmm. sense to me. Like, cause it's like, Hey, we have our superstar. Like, He'd Another disrespected slash mocked player to come join yeah. Memphis. Yeah, yeah, but that, but that, no. but that's the kind of team. It's like a little like that can fit him into this role, and like he doesn't need to play every night. Like if he does, if he can't, like that has a clear need can can absorb some of the playmaking duties from these other really good players on the team. Yeah, can help defensively on the wing. Like that's the kind of team that would have that he would provide the most value to. So that's not my concern. There's a million. Every team would want Paul George. It's more so what is. What is what is LA getting back? What are the Clippers? I hate calling the Clippers LA. I don't feel like they've earned that. What are the Clippers getting back to uh, move to like make Burbank. it worthwhile to trade Paul George? That's more where I, where I was coming from. A team 
with Kawhi and Paul George, I feel like you're going to pick that 10 times out of 10 over a team where you still try to keep Kawhi, but you have now, you know, Desmond Bain and uh, like Zaire Williams and a pick. It would be a team, I think, that like a Memphis or a New Orleans that has a little bit of desperation and has a need and overpays with their plethora of draft picks. That's the team. Those are the teams. It's the teams with a lot of assets and a clear need and a need to do something. And then they overwhelm you and you say, well, we're getting a bunch of the picks back that we lost from doing this in the first place. And we can start to recover that way. That's what I think what you're looking at. Is that yeah. enough? I don't know. But that's the offer you're getting. It's like Herb Jones and a bunch of picks. It is. But like, what does that do? What does that do for the Clippers is, is what I'm trying to get at. That doesn't feel like if you're keeping quiet with nothing. a result that's more comfortable. Yeah. If you're keeping right? quiet, like, it doesn't really do anything. It, but if you're keep if you're not keeping quiet, it just allows yeah. you to like tank. It allows you to properly tank and yeah. Jason Preston can turn a point guard next year. Like that's that's, that's right. your end game. That that's my personal end game. That's how I win. But doesn't Ohio um, University running uh, this entire operation uh, of just basketball so far give you enough satisfaction? <laughs> Do they have to own the Clippers as well? Yeah, uh, yeah, we're actually buying the Clippers from Steve Ballmer. Me and uh, Peter Good King luck. and Don. Yeah, I we have you know me and boxing promoter and alum Don King are just pulling together some money over on the side. Don't worry about it. I don't even know if Don King's alive anymore, but. Um, rest in power if he isn't um, let, <laughs> well, so I, I think it, that's, but it's, a, it's a reset it's it's if Steve Ballmer wants to restart his Windows computer that is the LA Clippers this is the way to do it yeah is there another way like the that, jazz right it, it's yeah. it's what Danny Ainge got to do last summer with the jazz yep. and, and now all it, of a sudden one year later we feel awesome about Utah they got a nice new coach they got a breakout season from one of the guys they got back they got a, a nice rookie in Walker Kessler and some other vets that are continuing to produce and they got even in-season trades to keep adding to their stockpile. Yeah. The Clippers are opening trade. A, a new arena. Do they want, you know, okay, but whatever can I, can I, young can guys I just from add, Memphis to be on the banners when they do here, the here, unveiling of the here, new here, <laughs> Inglewood here, here's Stadium? Just, here's, here's, here's the thing, though. I think they will have the same problem the Nets have in New York, which is that I don't know if anyone's going to care that they matter that much. It's like they will have a hardcore dedicated fan base that loves them. But are the Brooklyn, like, it still felt like the New York was like a Knicks thing more than it was a Nets thing, even with KD and Kyrie on the Brooklyn Nets. I don't think that's going to be the case in LA. That's not like, you're not going to like steal market cap away from the Lakers. Like, are you going to steal market cap away from the Lakers? I'm saying if you're spending hundreds of millions of dollars to build an arena, you probably want to put a competitive product on the wood that is inside of that arena rather than a bad product because yeah, I'm going, you still I'm need going to make up. money off of your operation and, and having you know the best player on your team be like BJ Boston is not probably going to get that job done if you're Steve Ballmer. No, but I also think like you're running a lot of risks with the quiet part of this as well. And it, there's not like an easy answer for any of that, you know, like it's all going to be. I think very tricky for them to navigate. Um, and then, you know, he wonders, what does that mean? Does Ty want to stick around if they go rebuild? Does he be like, all right, I'm going to, I'm going to take a year off or something. Like, where does that push him? And then do you go get your own Will Hardy type of Will Hardy? Like, do you go hire that kind of assistant coach? I, I would, especially, and I wonder too, and this is kind of a noble, and this is maybe a good place to kind of end this. I wonder how the looming CBA changes will make them kind of view this. Like, do they need to reset just to kind of like, build back financially in a different way because they're one of the teams that will be most affected by the new salary cap structures. And, and I know those will take like a year or two to implement and fully be integrated, but 
that wouldn't surprise me if that gets on their mind to some degree. I'll give you a break that my preambles are long, but I did say that. Um, I do feel oh, like it's they, okay. Sorry, I was they need I was to. looking I was looking up like their salaries and like who else they could trade you're in. It's like they have good. a lot of guys I, that they could like I ramble trade when for, like, I set things up. So I but I it's like look the, we the Kawhi, the Paul yeah. George, they got to get their things set up, and I do think that matters because I feel like they right now are very top heavy, and then they have these middle contracts, and you know. Even a younger, like we talked about with, you said the difference between Trey and Beal is one is a max on a off of a rookie deal. One is the biggest possible max. And that is, you know, the difference of 10 to $15 million. So even if you reset in with a little bit of a younger angle, you're, you're going to make your roster cheaper that way. And maybe you, you don't have Robert Covington making, you know, $15 million sitting on your bench and you, and you just start to be a little bit more tactful with all that stuff. I'm not sure, but there's not an easy answer. I do. It wouldn't surprise me if at some point in the next few weeks we heard, you know, Chris Haynes or somebody say they're beginning conversations about what the future might look like there. Steve Ballmer has called a meeting with Kawhi Leonard in San Diego to talk about how to proceed. Uh, something like that. That would not shock me. Um, all right, let's wrap it up there. More playoff basketball. Most of these series will be over the next time we talk, Chris, and we might already have had some game once. Uh, hopefully, these second-round series should be awesome. Follow us wherever you listen. Subscribe on YouTube. Follow us on social media, TikTok, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. Wherever you are, we are also there churning out content for you. Thanks to Dylan Heiser and Jake Stevens for producing the show, as always, and we'll catch you guys next week.